Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 259. I'm Douglas Wilson, and I'm glad you decided to join me. So, it's been a while since we talked about Ukraine, and I wanted to make one particular point about it, not a broader point. In the uh, long slog that this war turned out to be, it um, began to go much more poorly for Russia than it looked like it was going to do at the beginning. So, um, this is the result of massive uh, armament on the part of the West, um, supplying weapons and, and sophisticated weapons to the Ukrainians. And it's um, also a function of the decrepit state of the Russian military and the low morale and just all sorts of functions. So uh, what was supposed to be uh, a matter of just a few days and weeks has turned into a log slog, uh, a long slog of uh, months and months and months, and we're in the winter months now, and things have stalled out as far as Russia is concerned. So the whole thing is starting to look like a grade-A disaster for, for Putin and for Russia. And what I wanted to, the point I wanted to make in this setting is that two things can be true. Uh, two things can be true. One is that we can hope and wish that the Ukrainian military forces defeat the Russians, repel the Russians, and take back their territory. And I would even include Crimea in this. So the Russians uh, are basically thwarted in every respect militarily. All their military goals are come to nothing. So that's one thing. And uh, that is my, uh, that's my wish. That's my heart's desire. I want uh, Ukraine to prevail in this contest militarily. Having said that, here's the other thing that can be true. You can want that. You can desire that. You could want the Ukrainians to fight off the Russians and at the same time recognize that corrupt Washington operatives have been using Ukraine as a massive money laundering scheme a way of um you know a way of making millions of dollars a way of lining their own nests and wanting to do this sort of thing without the kind of accountability that they uh, should have so uh, where these two th interests intersect it's one thing to have a western corporation cutting an oil deal and that sort of thing there's corruption there too but what i'm talking about is the the foreign aid the money that is directly related to the military conflict and the donation of weapons, etc. We ought to, I think, arm and equip and help out the Ukrainians. At the same time, we ought to do it in such a way that we can account for every penny and know exactly where every penny went. There needs to be some sort of controller, some sort of uh, audit of money flowing to Ukraine. When the bullets are flying and the flags are snapping in the breeze and everybody's got the Ukrainian flag up on their Facebook profile, it's very easy in the, in the fervor of the moment to say that 
altruism is the only thing going on here. But anybody who knows anything about human nature and anything about the nature of war and the any, anything about the motivations that commonly attend arms merchants knows that the opportunities for corruption in a situation like this are vast. And so, two things can be true. These two things can be true simultaneously. You can want Ukraine to prevail. You can want us to help Ukraine with arms and, and aid and so forth. You can want to do this without us committing any kind of, uh, committing to any kind of boots on the ground scenario. We don't want to be dragged into a war ourselves over this or to give Russia an excuse that they might want to escalate the thing to tactical nukes or whatever. We, th those things can all be true and at the same time recognize that there is a long trail of corruption that involves United States politicians and Ukrainian interests sometimes uh, sometimes people in government sometimes not those two things can be true and and you, and you might say well should we withhold um if we were in charge then we wouldn't have to withhold anything we could just say here here are the stipulations here this is what we're going to do this is the way we're going to do it we're going to give you this money and we're going to we're going to have an accounting for all of it and if a couple of million here or tens of millions there wind up in the pockets of uh, <laughs> corrupt Washingtonians, well, that would be A, par for the course, and B, the sort of thing that we're trying to head off. So war is, the, someone has once said that the first casualty of war is the truth. And this does not just apply to what's going on on the battlefield. It also applies to what the motives are for people who are helping out, what the uh, <laughs> what deals are being made on the side, and who's making how much money. That's uh, that's something to be really aware of. So there you go. Always will be God. Continuing with podcast episode two fifty nine, as we continue to study hamartiology, we want to be good students of the subject of sin. On the one hand. And we want to be terrible students of, of it on the other, if you know what I mean. This is what we're studying, and so we want to do well in one sense and do poorly in another. Our word today is exopereomai, exopereomai, which means despair. One use of it shows the sinful side, but I'm including another non-sinful use that uh, Paul has, but it gives you a good idea of the nature of the word. So, in 2 Corinthians 4.8, Paul says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. So Paul's saying, this is true, but not that. He's talking about some of the tribulations that he has gone through, and he talks about how he was brought to this point, but not quite to that point. We, he was brought to the point of perplexity, but not to the point of a general despair. They were perplexed or baffled, but this did not re reduce to the point of a hopeless despair where everything was black, everything was uh, awful. The second use of this word is not a sinful one because it has the local point of focus. Or it's, another way of putting this is that it's bound or limited. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, For we would not, brethren, have, ye, have you ignorant of our trouble 
which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's not talking about despair generally, or despair as a worldview outlook, or he's not talking about becoming a nihilist. He is simply talking about despairing of his life. He was confident, in other words, that he was going to die. But then, he didn't. (laughs) He thought he was going to die. He was confident he was going to die. He despaired even of life. So, when someone despairs fully and completely, then that would be a sin. You're not you're not trusting God. And I, I would say, even in the Lord's cry of dereliction on the cross, he's not sinning. He's, it's still my God, my God. He's still trusting in God. And he's quoting scripture as he does it. He knows the uh, end of that psalm. When he quotes the beginning of the psalm, he knows the uh, end of the psalm. And he is obedient in that point of despair. But when we are if we are in similar straits and everything about the world is black, then that would be the kind of despair that Paul says he avoided in 2 Corinthians 4.8. God don't never change. He's God. So we continue on with episode 259 of the podcast, and uh, this is our book review section. The book I want to review uh, this time around is an odd choice, perhaps, and it's, uh, but it's a book I finally got around to reading after, lo, these many years of having not read it. I've been aware of it for a long, long time, and the book is Common Sense by Thomas Paine. Uh, Common Sense by Thomas Paine. And I wanted to mention this book because I, there was a, something that was striking about it to me. I've known uh, of Thomas Paine's uh, role in the Revolutionary War for some time, for many years. And I knew that he went after, after his involvement here, he went over into France and he, he went to France and he was very much of the same revolutionary spirit that motivated the French Revolution, which was an alien spirit to that which motivated the American Revolution. And he was an atheist. He, at least later in his life, he was an atheist and infidel. And so, okay. I'm not a big fan of Thomas Paine. But then, when I listened to Common Sense, the thing that was surprising about it was how theistic it was and how much scripture he used. And not only did he use a lot of scripture, but he used a lot of scripture pretty well, actually. And I thought, well, this is a, <laughs> this is a punch in the mouth. Here you have this 18th century atheist infidel doing a better job handling the Bible, handling what the Scripture teaches about despotism and monarchy and and tyranny and so forth, than many Orthodox Christian evangelicals today. What happened? (laughs) What happened? One of our problems is that our old-timey infidels are often sounder than our modern, up-to-date Christian believers. This is not, uh, as uh, George Washington might have put it, this is not cool. (laughs) This is not, there's something wrong with this. So Thomas Paine goes back into the Old Testament. He's he's very well acquainted with the Bible. He uh, handles it easily and readily. He talks about the details of Israel's 
history. He talks about the history of monarchy in the uh, in the Old Testament. He um, goes through uh, Samuel's warning of the people when they ask for a king like the other nations. He's a, it's just a just a good bit of work, I, and I think that you're going to understand some of the uh, broader context of the war for independence if you are, if you listen to common sense by by pain or if you read it uh he gets into some of the um some of the details some of the issues some of the um points of conflict between the crown and uh the american colonies so overall yeah this is a decent job i'm i'm not a big thomas paine fan but i have to say in this respect he surprised me mm-hmm. 